Hello, um, I'm Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine and you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show. I'm here with John Holroyd, who's a teacher of philosophy at St Dunstan's College and he teaches the International Baccalaureate and he's got some of his students here and they're going to debate ethical issues and their contemporary applications, starting with the riots and we'll hopefully go on then to the um, consider the ethics of the De- Dale Farm Travellers uh, situation. So, John... Thank you. Uh, Well, I have a number of students here who are in the sixth form in year 13, uh, and um, uh, I have Amy and Nicole, Layla, Lawrence and David. Um, And um, uh, what I thought that we would do would be to look at some particular aspects of the riots and the Dale Farm um, travellers situation that's recently been in the news and to explore, um, with the use of some theories about ethics, really what's best to do um, in certain situations. So to start us off, um, uh, I've asked a couple of students um, uh, who are here to introduce some of these theories. And um, Amy, if you would like to begin by just telling us a little bit about one theory of, of ethics, utilitarianism. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so utilitarianism, as a way to find out what's right and wrong, focuses on the consequences of our actions. Um, In the 19th century, John Stuart Mill called utilitarianism what would bring the greatest amount of happiness to the greatest number of people. Um, Happiness is measured in terms of duration, intensity, and the amount of unhappiness it avoids. We can also divide utilitarianism into act and rule, where act utilitarianism considers the happiness generated by a particular action, judging this on its own, and rule utilitarianism tries to decide which action will create the greatest happiness in all situations and can be applied in many circumstances. Thank you. Um, So we're going to look at um, that as a way of working out what's right and wrong. Um, uh, in in discussion of particular issues. And the other theory that we're going to look at is um, what's sometimes called a more duty-based theory um, of of ethics. So rather than looking at, well, as utilitarianism does, the consequences of our actions and really asking, well, what will best bring about particular consequences for most people. Instead, a duty-based theory of ethics does something a little bit different. And David, could you say a little bit about what a duty-based theory of ethics is? Yeah, so rather than um, focusing on the, the consequences of our actions and what um, what really results from what we do, a duty-based ethics tends to look more about sort of if there's something inherently right or wrong about a particular action. Um, so instead of so sort of considering whether in principle uh, something can be considered right or wrong, and an example of this is the philosopher Immanuel Kant, uh, who came up with who who came up with this principle that says that basically the right thing to do is always to act how we would wish uh, everyone else to act in our situation. So this is essentially saying that that uh, in principle is right, um, and it's not really looking at the consequences as utilitarianism is. Right. So it's looking more at rules, and it's saying um, so. What is right is to be judged by a definite rule, and uh, Kant really. Uh, try to tie all the rules together and say that we should really consider um, really um, th- this this idea that uh, well something is all either right or wrong um, based on the question um, well would we want everyone 
um, to act in this way uh, or, or not? What would the world be like if, we, if everyone acted uh, in a particular way? Um, all right. Well, uh, we're going to look at to, to really to try and apply some of these ideas at some specific things um, to do with, for example, starting the riots. Uh, uh, and uh, we're going to look especially um, because something that came up uh, in a discussion about the riots was um, police um, behaviour, the use of force by the police. So the first thing that uh, we're going to think about is the extent to which uh, police should use force in a situation of civil unrest, in a situation that is riotous, when it's right to use force, what type of force is right, when it's not right. And so I'd like to sort of really um, throw this open to any of you, um, really, uh, who, who would like to sort of start off and say something about, um, you know, whether or not you think force is possibly right or not right um, in, in the situation of the, of the riots of the summer. Nicole, would you like to say a little bit about what you think about this? Sure. I'll start by saying something quite controversial, and I don't think that force should be used in any circumstances because I think that using force would only breed violence and that would make the situation a thousand times worse. Okay. Um, but if we take this a bit further, I mean, does that mean that the, the police therefore can't um, ar arrest someone who is uh, shoplifting or um, setting fire to something? I mean, um, so, so what exactly does it mean that they can't use force, just to get at that a bit more? The only thing is I think that if they use force and if you allow violence to be applied in certain circumstances, then you're allowing the authority to manipulate the system and using loopholes and then getting excuses to allow them to use that violence. OK, let's... Uh, uh, Lawrence, what are you thinking? Well, I feel like it's, it's actually quite necessary for the police to have certain um, abilities to use force or aggression because... If people didn't have the law to protect them, they'd take matters into their own hands. And I think the police can easily be controlled as a kind of governmental jurisdiction. They're, they're easily, they can easily have rules to dictate their behaviour, but individuals can't to, to a certain extent. And so I think it's, it's more dangerous for you to allow lawlessness because I feel, feel like then there's always going to be individuals who are willing to use more extreme measures to protect their property or their, their families. All right, so, so your point is that the police can be regulated, um, that they are being watched carefully, um, and whereas the individuals uh, don't have that same um, uh, light on them, really, in that sense, and, and therefore um, the, the, the police should be allowed to use force, but, but so long as it's carefully regulated. Amy, what, what, what do you think about this? Um, I guess what Nicole is saying is that kind of in the context of... Kantian ethics like on principle violence is wrong and there's no kind of exception to that rule that anyone could come up with but I think I'd disagree because um, this is the point of what we're debating we have to you know I think there has to be some people in society who can use force to restrain people because otherwise you know people would be able to do whatever they want but what is important to find out is what's reasonable force Mm. And uh, c can we get a, a bit further uh, uh, along the line about this then? What, how do we distinguish reasonable from less reasonable force? David? What, what um, I think the main, the main thing that we have to consider here is what the actual um, purpose of the police is and sort of 
why we should allow them to use force if we're going to say that they can. And I think um, the the purpose, surely, of the police has to be not just to sort of arrest people and punish them after crime has been committed, but also to try and prevent the greatest amount of crime possible. Um, if Because this is ultimately their purpose, to serve society in this way. And I think that if um, violence is uh, a way of them doing that, I mean, obviously it's not... I, I wouldn't say that it's ideal, but I think that in some situations it could be called necessary. Right. Can I um, can I bring it back to the riots? I mean, this is a general um, discussion about whether police are, should be using violence or not. But in the particular case of the riots, what do people think that the violence used there was overused, or should they have had more power, or what do they think? Amy. Well, I think in the context of the riots, something that was being debated a lot was the use of um, water cannons. And I don't think it was, and I think I really agree with that, because one of the things about water cannons is that it's kind of a blanket punishment that I wouldn't consider it reasonable force because it punishes the majority for the sake of um, kind of trouble being caused by a minority. So I'd argue that that wouldn't have been necessary because... You know, it's unfair to the minority, to the yes. majority. Sorry. All right. So, so it, it's uh, it's a bit indiscriminate in in that sense. L- Layla, what yeah. what do you feel well, about that? Well, whilst I agree with Amy in that um, this kind of punishment kind of is a blanket thing, and it kind of um, it punishes the majority when actually there might only be a minority being involved that deserve to be punished. Um, it's it's kind of it's it's easy to say that but actually at the time when something needs to be done quickly and there's probably not a lot of time and there's not a lot of resources um, that the police can use there's actually something needs to be done immediately and something to this can actually have great effect so in a way that this this is sort of looking at sort of consequences a little bit saying you know if if some violence needs to be clamped down upon very effectively very quickly then even if it goes against some principles uh, that we might have about non-violence or principles that we might have about fairness. Uh, so we should only punish people who are actually involved in shoplifting or whatever, that all the same, because things can get more out of hand if you don't come down quite firmly, some would say, that, that therefore that's the justification of it. Uh, Lawrence, what, what are your thoughts about this? Well... I think I agree with Layla to a certain extent and just kind of expanding on her point. I feel like the only other kind of uh, valuable alternative to using direct action to stop crime would be kind of prohibiting people's civil rights. So if you didn't directly stop the crime itself and you were looking for a more preventative measure, you're going to be looking at things like restricting people's right to protest, Mm. um, restricting people's rights like freedom of speech. And I think that's kind of, well, really dangerous, actually. Um, I, I feel like using a, a, a kind of a deterrent like a water cannon, which, yeah, it might be indiscriminate, but at the same time, it is, it's completely humane. I mean, there's never been any casualties or fatalities. So I th- feel like that would be a much more kind of uh, valuable option than restricting people's civil rights. All, all right. So, so y- y- your, your point is... Um that, that water cannon is uh, is reasonable because if if uh, that means that we kind of preserve people's right to protest as long as it's peaceful, then then uh, yeah, David. Um, yeah, I'd agree with what Lawrence said, and I'd, I'd add that especially in a situation such as the riots, where 
civil disorder was occurring on such a huge scale. Like, the police were stretched incredibly thin and needed some way of preventing crime uh, as efficiently as possible because, you know, the civil disorder was happening across the whole of London and, you know, in other cities as well. And ultimately, if the purpose of the police is to prevent crime and they are stretched so thin, I think they would have to resort... I think they should have resorted to a measure such as water cannons, which will, you know, just... I I mean, it is indiscriminate, and it's unfortunate that we have to punish uh, a a majority in that way, but um, ultimately we have to think about sort of the greater good of society in quite a utilitarian way Mm. and consider... But but perhaps someone wants to say something about uh, how perhaps looking at the consequences, looking at utilitarianism, means that actually there might be very bad consequences from water cannon. Would someone like to say something about about that? Uh, Amy, what are are you thinking? Yeah, I think I'd argue that um, if we take utilitarianism, utilitarian point of view, the harm that would have been done by using water cannons would be that, you know, people would resent the extreme force used by the police and it would kind of inflame the situation even more. And so, whereas before you had a minority of people who were um, causing violence and seeking harm, that would kind of grow and you might even get more harm done. Um, can I also say, um, I, can't, I disagree with something that I think Lawrence said, which was that um, the... Alternative would be to reduce liberty, but I'd say that by using a water cannon, that's reducing people's liberty equally because you're saying that anyone who wants to go out and protest peacefully can't do that either because they're going to be punished in the same way as someone who wants to go out and protest violently. Nicole, what what, what are your thoughts about this? I agree with David that crime should be prevented, but there's no evidence and there's no way of knowing that if we use water cannons or any other form of force that this would actually prevent further riots or it would in any way help the situation. David, you you raised this, so what's your response Um, to that? I I think that in the the situation that we're discussing in the riots, we have to um, consider in some ways two different groups of people. We're considering people who are out in the riots and taking a part in the uh, demonstrations, whether they were peaceful or not. And we also have to consider the victims of the crime that happened. Now, people who went out to be involved in the riots um, would obviously have known that there was a fairly strong likelihood that they were going to turn violent. And if someone is willing to go out and protest in this manner then I think surely we have to consider more and put a greater emphasis on the the um, possible harm done to completely innocent victims who had no intention of causing any harm to anyone else. Um, obviously, at, at the start of the riots, perhaps you know some people had the intention of protesting peacefully. But I think as they got as they went further on, I think fewer and fewer people had that intention, and so sort of. I think that we have to consider more the harm done to people who are completely innocent than to those who aren't. So this is quite a utilitarian sort of um, way of thinking because you're weighing up here the consequences of harm 
for uh, people owning shops and owners of property uh, compared with the harm that may be done to people who have no ill intention but happen to be around uh, uh, on the streets who are the victims of water cannon. And you're saying that actually um, that their well-being um, and discomfort is uh, that, that um, we should consider that that them a little less than we should consider uh, those people who are owners of property and so on. Um, yeah, can we pursue this any further? This particular sort of calculation, or is this the wrong question, really? Um, uh, Amy, I'd say that what David's saying is quite risky because if you start you know, preempting people's intentions before they've even set out to the riots. Or if you... I don't think we can presume that everyone who is taking part in a protest has, you know, violent intentions, because I'm sure that they didn't even know that they would have violent intentions. Um, and I think it's, you know, one of the most important things that we have, which is that you can't condemn someone until they've actually done something. So you can't take away people's liberties because of what they're likely to do. Mm. Um, yes, Lawrence, what, what are you thinking about this? But, um, just kind of on that point about stopping people from doing things which they potentially might not do, I almost feel like in many respects that's that's kind of what would have to happen if you didn't use a certain level of force. Because if you're talking about using preventative measures rather than direct action against people who are in the act of committing crimes, you're effectively um, legitimising police arresting people before they have committed those crimes, which did in fact happen during the riots and was something which happened widely. And I feel like that's definitely something to be condemned far more than using action against people who are in the act of committing a crime or have been witnessed directly, you know, attacking someone's property. I think that's definitely a, a worse thing. OK, David? Um, I'd also like to add that in some circumstances, I think we already do punish people before they've committed a crime. I mean, why is drunk driving a crime? It's not because the person has done any harm to anyone else yet, but it's because they're likely to do if they're behind the wheel of a car and drunk. So to say that, you know, we can't really punish anyone um, before, sort of before they've actually done anything, I think part of the purpose of the police is to prevent crime and preempt crime. Uh, which is just as important as punishing people after they've done it. Mm. Is it a fair comparison? Because you might actually say of someone who is um, drink driving that they know that they have uh, limited their capacity to do something such that um, things are therefore very dangerous, uh, whereas someone who you know happens to be walking home and walks into a riot and doesn't know about it, there's a greater innocence about that. Is that, is that a fair...? Well, I, th I think that sort of in the situation of the riots, I mean, I, I don't think anyone could claim to be out on the streets and not know about them. I think they were pretty well publicised. All right. Um, okay. 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 Uh, we're going to go to a track now. This is going to be the clash in Ghetto Defendant. <laughs> Metropolis Hooked on Necropolis Addict of Metropolis Do the worm on Necropolis Slam dance Cosmopolis Enlighten the populace 
This is Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine and you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show and uh, today we're talking about uh, contemporary ethics, if you want to put it like that. I have with me John Holroyd and some of his students from St Dunstan's College who are in, in their... They're 17-year-old and they've t- uh, been studying philosophy, so this is some of the fruits of their study and at the moment we're talking about the riot. So, John, if you want to continue... Yes. Uh, One issue that came up really from the riots uh, was really after them, the convictions that uh, were given out to uh, people um, for uh, shoplifting and for arson. And uh, a point that came from that was that the convictions uh, seemed to be harsher than they were for the same crimes committed in quite different situations at different times. Uh, Some people have said that that's not fair, and others have said, well, there were good reasons why uh, the uh, convictions, the penalties, should have been harsher than they were at other times. So let's get a view about that um, from um, our students. Um, Our students, again, are Amy, Nicole, Layla, Lawrence and David. And um, uh, what did you feel about this issue that... Um, 
harsher penalties seem to have been given out to people um, you know, who committed crimes during the riots than those same crimes at different times later. Would you like to say something about your thoughts about that? Um, I think in terms of um, the punishments for those involved in the riots and those committing the same crimes or similar crimes um, who weren't involved in the riots, I think it's really a matter of um, intention um, and it's also a matter of the amount of harm, um, if we can kind of measure it in any sort of way, Mm. um, the amount of harm that's caused caused, um, to society and the surrounding people. Right. Could you say a little bit more about that, or could anyone else say a little bit more about that? You know, what is it about the intention, perhaps, that means that uh, that could be reason to give people uh, a a more um, difficult, a harsher punishment, really? Um, David? I think the point is that the intention behind someone uh, committing a crime during the riots is um, far more dangerous in some ways to society because the intention is to exploit what is in fact a very vulnerable situation Um, and you know if if you have to draw a a comparison between someone who uh, will attack society when it's at its weakest uh, and someone who won't then I think you'd have to say that uh, the former is far more dangerous Right, so it's uh it's the consequences as well as the intention. Um, uh, right, uh, excellent. Um, uh, yeah, Amy. I think I disagree that the intention would be worse during a riot because um, I'd imagine that in that kind of situation, someone will be a lot more opportunistic when committing a crime. I mean, if a shop has already been broken into and you're looking at that individual's like participation in it, then they might just be passing by thinking, oh, well... If it's already going on, like, I'll just steal it. I may as well. But, I mean, if you look at someone who does it in complete kind of isolation, it would take a lot more premeditation. They'd have to, you know, find out when would be the best time to steal from the shop and things like that. So I'd argue that the intention would be worse, not during the riot. So does that mean that you think that the people who looted during the riot should get less of a sentence because they were more impulsive? (laughs) <laughs> I think you need to look at them in kind of separated circumstances. So although they had... I don't think they're really... Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's interesting, that Im- idea of being impulsive. And, and perhaps the one point uh, is that we're looking at averages, yeah. that uh, generally um, people were given harsher punishments that that's just by the law of averages, but not everyone was. And perhaps your point, Amy, is that, well, yeah, we should look at sort of individual (coughs) cases. Um, And, I mean, there was the case, for example, of someone who said, I didn't know what came over me. Now, we might just kind of laugh at an excuse like that. But um, some people perhaps, uh, yes, did um, their worst part of their character took over really, um, uh, and, and exposed a weakness of character. But um, let, let's explore this a bit more. Lawrence, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think, I'd, again, I'd disagree with David on the idea that um, because their collective actions caused greater harm to society, they, their punishments should be greater. Because I think that kind of goes against what's at the core of like a fair and just judicial system. 
I mean, you can't judge an individual's crimes based on the fact that a lot of other people were doing the crime at the same time. It, it just doesn't work and it's, it's not fair and it's not democratic. You have to judge each, individual, each individual's crime in isolation based on the fact that they committed that crime. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with Amy about how, in, in many respects, their intention was almost less because of their opportunism. And I think if you look at criminal law in general, opportunistic criminals are generally treated much more leniently in terms of their sentences. So it's almost like a raw reversal, which has happened with the riots. It's kind of bizarre. So would you generally say, Lawrence, that you think that, uh, that, that the judicial system got it wrong in, generally speaking, giving harsher penalties to people because, um, you, you know, people's, uh, people's intentions were perhaps, um, you, you know, more innocent and more impulsive um, as opposed to premeditated? So, so you, you generally think that they should have got less of a sentence yes okay <laughs> david um i think the problem with that argument is that you're not really comparing um op- you're not really comparing riots uh, sorry you're not really comparing crimes during the riots with um the crimes committed during other times you're commit you're comparing uh, opportunistic crime committed normally with other with premeditated crime committed normally what i mean by this is that um the opportunistic crime committed not committed during times of civil unrest is i think as you say has much less intention behind it than premeditated crime the problem is during the riots people will have gone out onto the streets with the intention of at least taking some part in these riots and taking a part in attacking society when it's at its most vulnerable and the problem with this is that whether or not they intended to commit crime itself they still had the intention of causing harm to society in some way mm. is there some punishment that's also due um, because of character traits like cowardice um, you might say you know someone who is opportunistic who takes advantage of the fact that the shop windows are already broken and they can just nip in and take a 42 inch TV that uh, that that's to be punished precisely because it looks as if they can get away with it. It's much more difficult to plan a premeditated crime. And society perhaps needs to give a very strong disincentive to opportunistic crime, precisely because there's a kind of cowardice involved um, and that kind of human weakness um, it is something that perhaps many people are, are vulnerable to and therefore needs all the more... Um, a deterrence to 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 put, be put against it. Le- Leila, what are you thinking about that? Um, well, whilst I understand the reasoning behind that, and I somewhat agree with it, that um, the punishments were perhaps um, harsher because they need to act as a deterrent so that this kind of um, civil unrest doesn't um, kind of happen again. I would say that um, it's kind of um, it 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 seems. Um, Okay, but, uh, Nicole, what are, what are you what are you thinking? Yeah. I don't think it's fair to punish people because they committed something that's considered a cowardly action. Because we've never punished people on aspects of their personality before, so I don't think we should start doing that now. Right. 
we've hang on we've never punished people for aspects of their personality yeah we've never punished people for I having I think they were shot in the war for cowardice in the first world war certainly but not in the society we live in today you're not shot mm. for being for having a lack of courage or for and neither should you be really yeah i don't think so mm. um anyone sort of say anything uh, uh, you, you know kind of uh, uh, in opposition to what's been just said, um, you know, the, the character traits. Uh, David? Um, I think I, I, I do agree that um, punishments are necessary to serve as a deterrent in this situation. I don't necessarily agree with the sort of character aspect of it. I think, again, I, I take a utilitarian perspective and look at the consequences. I mean, the as I understand it, the justification behind the harsher sentences is to serve as a deterrent so the riots did not continue. Um, and I think that that surely is the is the justification rather than punishing people because the acts are cowardly. Um, although, although I mean, I, I think that they are and I think that, um, as, as I've said, exploiting vulnerable situations is to be punished. I think the main justification is to serve as a deterrent to others so they don't even consider the type of opportunistic crime that these people are being punished for. Mm. Um, Leila? Um, I think the bottom line is there can't really be a two-tiered um, form of law and that a crime is a crime and if it's committed in one circumstance it has to be treated the same as if it was committed in another and I think it's kind of, it has to be as black and white as that for a, for a kind of a law system to work out. Right, we'd need a lawyer here to really um, uh, uh, help us with with that. Um, uh, but we might explore that that further. Uh, uh, Amy, I just go back to what David said about kind of the utilitarian kind of it would prevent more harm. But I think this is really where utilitarianism comes across a really big problem. Sorry, utilitarianism for those who have just joined us is the doctrine that uh, things should be done to maximise the greatest number of. Ha- amount of happiness for the greatest number of people. Yeah, so David is saying the greatest amount of happiness will come because people will be deterred from carrying out more crimes, but equally one could say um, it would cause greater unhappiness because people would be kind of outraged by high punishments giving, p- given to people for doing equal crimes and you could, in- you know, more violence could be carried out and you could cause more harm. So I think consequences isn't really a valuable way of looking at the situation because you can't predict the way people are going to act like that. Right. So the, the, the problem is one of evidence, really, here with um, utilitarianism, that, you know, where's the evidence, really, um, that, uh, that, that more harm will be created in, in, this, in this situation? Um, it, you know, and it's speculative. It's, it's, that seems to be the problem. Um, Lawrence? Yeah, I just think that on David's point about the harsh punishments being used as a deterrent, I I think we can pretty much prove from, well, many societies around the world that harsher punishments as a deterrent don't really work. I mean, if you look at countries with, for example, the death penalty, the United States has one of the highest crime rates in the Western world. It doesn't seem to deter people from uh, taking more drastic kind of action in their crimes. Mm. Yes, th- this is a question of you know some big analogies, some big comparisons, and how do we know which comparisons to draw? David, um, I would say that the comparisons that we're currently drawing are invalid because we're um, again we're not con- we're considering um, sort of aspects of 
uh, things that happen during the riots with uh, things that happen at, at sort of normal times. And in the in the context of the riots, the uh, deterrent is there to prevent crime from continuing. It's already happening, which is the problem. We need to stop it from continuing. I would also add that uh, we raised in the other issue the um, the point that we uh, live in a democracy, and I would say that the majority of people were calling for harsher punishments. And I think at some point um, the government has to just sort of, you know, put their foot down and say, OK, the game is up, you know, our citizens have asked for this, and this is the only way we're going to be able to stop further crime from continuing. But if this is a moral discussion, this does raise questions about democracy because, uh, after all, Hitler was democratically elected, um, and because this is what the majority want. Is that, as such, a moral point, that because the majority want it, that therefore there's a moral kind of reason there some, somehow? Um, I mean, I mean d- d- David, have you got any thoughts about that? Um, I think perhaps not, but um, ultimately that is the ideology, the, the ideo- ideology that our society is founded on. Um, and... Um, unless we're going to you know, get into the issue of questioning that, then I think for the time being we sort of have to accept it. OK, that's, that's interesting. OK, and we're going to go to another track now. This is one for the travellers. It's One Way by the Levellers. There's only one
and the love and laugh Circle days on the underpass The noise we thought would never stop Died of death as the punk grew up We choked on all our dreams We wrestled with our fears We're running through the heartless concrete streets Chasing our ideas I'm Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine and you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show. I have with me John Holroyd and various of his students. We're talking about ethics and it's, uh, we're going to be talking about ethical issues um, resulting from the Dale Farm Travellers. That music you just heard was The Levelers and One Way, by the way. Okay, John? Thank you. Uh, well, one thing that's uh, come up from the Dale Farm um, Travellers site near Basildon um, is... The, the issue of um, people living different lifestyles and the amount of tolerance that people should have for different people's lifestyles. And so um, uh, let's just look at that sort of issue, the question of to what extent um, people should be allowed to live um, lifestyles that inconvenience other people um, uh, how f- because it's a wider issue in society, this question of lifestyles that inconvenience others. Perhaps things need to do far more than inconvenience others for um, us to be in any way intolerant. Um, so how far should, this, so should um, uh, lifestyles that people find difficult um, uh, be, be allowed in society? Lawrence, would you like to start off and tell us a little bit about your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think just in general, for for like a society to be interesting, it has to be diverse. And in a diverse society, you're always going to get people whose ideals um, conflict with each other and whose lifestyles conflict. There's always going to be pe- people who disagree with other people's um, lifestyles. And I think it's pretty dangerous for a government, which is meant to represent all, all the people and all the different ways of life, to kind of favouritise one or maybe even um, can, or maybe even kind of say that one is less than, which I feel like is is definitely kind of happening in many respects to the, to the traveller community. Their lifestyles become sidelined in in the kind of past few decades, um, with a lot of legislation being revoked, which is making their their the travelling aspect of their lifestyle increasingly difficult. Could, could you give any example of that, of legislation? Or, or well, there's, there was an act um, which used to be in place which basically um, made it uh, the law that every single county had to have at least one place um, for travellers to be able to settle um, and build temporary homes or caravan sites, and that was revoked. And so now there's 
pretty much very limited places in the UK where travellers can do that legally. All right, let's have some other views about uh, about this question of uh, of, uh, of of travellers' uh, rights. And uh, David, um, I'd argue that the the duty of government is um, first and foremost to protect its citizens and make sure they are able to live their lifestyles. Um, I th- I think that obviously we can't encourage um, people to live totally opposing and um, and sort of uh, you know inconveniencing lifestyles. But if um, in in some ways again it's quite a utilitarian point that I'm making here. Mm. But um, the the government has to consider um, how sort of the whole of society. Uh, lives their lifestyles. Right. So can we talk about some specifics, some, you know, at what point do we say, well, this is too much? Um, And are there any examples uh, here? I mean, uh, building caravans or chalets um, uh, on Greenbelt land, you know, without planning regulation is understood by some to be an inconvenience. Uh, Amy, what, what, what do you think about this? Yeah, so I think this whole discussion is kind of about what the meaning of inconvenience is because I agree you have to allow each person to live in the way that they want and I think that that's one of the main things that the government has to do. But as soon as um, living the way they want begins to harm others or, like, um, yeah, that's the point at which you need to say, well... Like, that's an unacceptable lifestyle. But it's whether, in this case, living the way that they want to do is actually harming others or if it's... uh, The idea of them harming is kind of out of a stereotyping or um, preconceptions that aren't necessarily right. Right. So um, what you're perhaps saying is that, well, harm might be as much in someone's mind as it might be actually in reality, perhaps. Um, Layla? I think there's a sort of problem by talking about um, harming others in that, in this circumstance, if you're talking about harming others in terms of um, being in kind of areas that they're not legally supposed to be in, I think there's a problem because they don't intend to set out to harm and they are there because of what Lawrence said, because um, the local councils don't provide any other spaces for them to be in. Right, so we can't see people's actions as, as separate from the, the circumstance, the context in which they 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 live. If um, uh, all right, David. I think um, just to sort of draw some points together. I think the ultimate thing that we're saying here is that um, we shouldn't really allow people to live lifestyles that inconvenience others. Instead, we should allow them to live their lifestyles in a way that doesn't inconvenience others. And you know, if the if the legislation that the um, that counties had to provide an area for travellers to settle had not been revoked, uh, then travellers would be able to live their lifestyles in a way that um, didn't affect other people as much as it's doing now, and we wouldn't have this problem. Right, so that comes back to Lawrence's point. Amy? But then I think if we take a kind of duty-based approach to this, the fact is you can't have people living on land that isn't theirs because if everyone did that then you know society wouldn't work so um we 
I mean, if we follow that line, then surely it's right for them to be evicted because you have to follow the law through so that everyone doesn't do it. So we're still in the context things may be imperfect, uh, that the government doesn't provide more sites, but still, here we are, and if they've broken the law, then there need to be consequences. Lawrence? Yeah, I, I think just on that point about about the law and whether or not they're actually, they're kind of breaking the law and whether they should be punished for that, I feel like it's a kind of a controversial, contra- uh, controversial question, but um, I think it's important to maybe consider that the government's uh, legislation is perhaps discriminatory on, I mean, many different... I mean, you could argue that the travellers are an ethnic community, a cultural minority, and I think maybe potentially it is discriminatory for those... Um, for the for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. And I th- feel like the traveller community has faced huge amounts of prejudices, um, like, in the, in this country from kind of local communities which they try to coexist with. And... Um, and I, I feel like that's probably actually playing a lo- fairly large part in what in what the government was doing. Right, David. Um, I think coming back to what Amy said, the problem with um, duty based ethics is that it's it's so prone to come up with um, two different rules or duties that are completely contradictory. I mean, Amy said that we think we should have as a rule um, that people shouldn't live on land which isn't theirs, and I think that's. I think in some ways we have to say, yes, that's that's right. That just, it feels right to us. But on the other hand, we do have to say that um, the the travellers in some ways sort of, you know, I, I think we, we would also say that it's wrong of the government to leave people with nowhere to live. I think in some ways the travellers would be feeling given up on, even let down by the government. And that's obviously something that should never happen. Right. Can we reach any conclusions then as we come towards the end that uh, about um, duty-based ethics and utilitarianism because we've been um, really using these approaches to what's right and wrong throughout the programme? But, can, I mean, you've just sort of, David, suggested that one problem then with duty-based ethics is which rules and what do we do when rules contra- contradict each other? Uh, is there anything that we've come across that is a similar or, or a problem for utilitarianism, really? Um, let's have some thought, thoughts about that. Amy? I think what we said in our previous discussion was that um, utilitarianism, in some circumstances, has to rely on <coughs> predicting people's behaviour, and that's kind of almost impossible. And to work, the process of working out what would cause the most harm is extremely difficult. Yes, because uh, we've got to speculate there. Yeah, any other thoughts about either duty-based ethics uh, or uh, a utilitarianism Just at this point? Stop here. Utilitarianism is, again, the idea that we should act to promote the greatest happiness of, or the greatest benefit in society, whereas there are other ethics such as you should act out of moral laws or without um, ideas of consequences. David? Um, the the main problem that I personally have with utilitarianism, utilitarianism is that it seems to imply that we can sort of, you know, quantify human emotion and sort of, in, in some ways, even measure it mathematically. It seems to be implying that, you know, we can measure the outcomes of what will happen if we do this and what, we ha- what will happen if we do the other thing. And I, I just think that that's... Um, 
vastly underestimating the sort of complexity. And I don't think you can ever think of enough variables that would make utilitarianism work for all circumstances. Nicole? I was going to say one of the difficulties with the duty-based ethics is the idea that it's very much controlled by reason. (coughs) Sorry. And when we're discussing these issues, like the Dale Farm and the riots, a lot of it has to do with morality, and morality can't always be expressed through reason. Right, right. Uh, any further point about that? I mean, that's quite quite interesting. That that maybe emotion is quite involved in, in in an understanding of what's right and wrong. Um, Amy, um, I sorry, something to say, kind of another criticism of um, duty-based ethics, which is that I'm not sure if it came up in our argument about the police, but by nature it doesn't allow for any exceptions. But I would argue that. In society, police are kind of the ultimate exception to the rule that violence is wrong, if that were to be a rule we decided, because, you know, you have to have someone who is going to carry out violence on behalf of other people. Yes, and and there seems to be at least some irony if they are supposed to be enforcing uh, the, the, the rules for everyone else. Is, is that part of your, your point? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, uh, I think we'll have to finish there because we're coming near to the end of the show. Well, thanks, uh, John, and thanks to the people of uh, St Dunstan's College. Uh, uh, just each of you t- say your name. David. Lawrence. Ayla. Nicole. Amy. Yeah, and we've been discussing ethics. Next week we're going to be talking about Freud's civilization and its discontents and its um, contemporary relevance. Uh, and I'm Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine. Uh, you're invited to go to philosophynow.org, which is our website, and there's a forum there, and please uh, subscribe to the magazine. And my books, please buy my brilliant books. That's <laughs> The Meta Revolution and Love, Solitude and Destruction, which you can get online, and we're going to end with Disposable Teens by Marilyn Manson. <laughs>